As we dive into Sticky Faith, let's start by discussing what's really happening with our kids after they graduate from high school. According to a handful of great studies, approximately 40 to 50% of kids who graduate from a church or youth group will fail to stick with their faith in college. Yes, you heard me correctly. 40 to 50% will drift. Let's translate that stat to the kids you know. Imagine your child and his or her friend standing in a line and facing you. I'm sure they are smiling adoringly at you, especially your own son or daughter. Just like you used to do on the playground to divide into teams, number off these kids. One, two, one, two, one, two. The ones will stick with their faith. The twos will shelve it. The ones will stick with their faith and the twos will shelve it. Well, that's the one statistic that we will meditate on and think about and discuss over the next two weeks because it's the one statistic that when I read this a couple of months ago when I picked up this book, Sticky Faith by Dr. Kara Powell and Chap Clark, it blew me away. Because what it's saying is that kids who grew up in churches just like Spring Branch, not just uh, communities where, where faith was ho-hum, but faith that was alive and kids were going to, uh, to mission trips and they were going to camps and children were being raised in rock cities and promised land. 50%, as many as 50% of these kids, when they get out of high school, when they get to college and career, they're walking away from their faith and they're putting it on the shelf. And as a pastor, but really, you know, as a parent of three little people, the statistic hits home for me because that means at least one of my little people, based on this statistic, is going to walk away from God when they get to college. And, and that's just not okay. That's not okay with me because, because why? Just like for you, those of you who have been walking with the Lord and are trying to raise up kids with a faith that really does matter and stick, we get what happens when kids turn to faith instead of other books on the shelf. We get what's at stake when, when life unfolds and they have somewhere to go because we've been there and we've tried some of those other things. And so in that process, we've done a lot of things. We're always doing a lot of things. And part of what we're going to talk about today is, are we doing the right things? Are we headed in the right direction? And my message is titled... How to Unstick a Child's Faith in Five Easy Steps. And I'm going to share with you some of my experiences uh, as a parent and as a pastor and as a veteran youth worker, but also some of the things I've learned from you on how to unstick a child's faith. So it's going to be a great two weeks. This week we're going to talk about us and where we're living. Next week we're going to get to some of those bridges on how to really build a faith that lasts. So when I think about this time of year... It's an emotional time of year, isn't it? It's, for a lot of us, it's, it may just be September for some of you, but for a lot of people in this room, it represents a new school year. It represents a new beginning. Uh, for a lot of preschool parents, some of you in this room, you dropped your kids off at preschool for the first time. Uh, maybe this past week or you're about to do that. And the thought of it's just emotional. Maybe first kindergarten, uh, first, uh, you know, first experiences all over the place. My son is going to be in second grade. That's just impossible to imagine. Where does the time go? 
And you find yourself saying that, don't you? Where does the time go? And, and you feel old all of a sudden because only older people say, where does the time go? And then you find yourself, I'm saying it, maybe there's something to this, where does the time go? And so it, it makes you evaluate your investment that much more this time of year. It's a great time to hit the reset button for all of us. It's a great time to hit do over and maybe to evaluate where are we in this conversation? What is God calling us to do? as we seek to really raise up a generation of kids, of students, of young adults with a faith that sticks around. So I, I'm t there's, a, there's a specific uh, subset of parents that I think about particularly this time of year, and that is the parent who is dropping their kids off at college for the first time. Some of you in this room have done that. You know the emotion that goes along with that. Maybe, if not college, maybe into career, graduating high school, maybe it's off to the military. But whatever the case may be, all of the parents in that spot are probably asking a lot of the same questions. Well, one of our very own, two of our very own, actually made it to the front page of Williamsburg's finest periodical, uh, and that is Lee and Stephanie Clark with their son Connor. Uh, on the Virginia Gazette, they wrote an article like, Father Like Son, William and Mary Freshman, will live in the same dorm as his dad. And so 27 years ago, Lee was in this same dorm. And here he is, all this time later, dropping his son off. And all I could think about as I read this article and I talked to Lee and Steph about, uh, about dropping off their son Connor, and so many of you parents who have done that over the years and I've talked to, I've say an extra prayer because I know it's hard, but I can't help but wonder if all of you are saying the same thing. And that's, did I do enough? Did I do all the right stuff? Did I, did I mess them up? Is, is, like, is like father, like son an affirmation or does it scare the life out of you? Oh boy, I hope he doesn't do what I did. Well, Zoe is, uh, is a little sad about Connor's leaving too. Zoe is, uh, has been in Connor's preschool class for the last uh, year or so and Perrin told me just before the service that she cried all the way to church saying, why did Connor have to go to college? Oh my goodness, a lot of us are saying that about a lot of people that are not here this morning. Why did they have to go? Well, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time, it's a defining time, but it really causes us as parents and as volunteers and youth workers to ask the question, how are we doing along that faith continuum? Like I said, we are doing a lot of things. The question is, are we doing the right things? So as we move into this conversation this morning, there's going to be some scripture that is going to, uh, to define and to uh, root our time here today. As we really look at not just how to unstick a child's faith, we're looking at where do we go from this? What is it that we're supposed to do? And I'm going to give you two scripture that many of you are very familiar with. One comes from the book of Proverbs, another from one of Paul's letters. And so we're going to start first in Proverbs with Proverbs 22, 6, and this is what the author says. It says this, start, start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start children off in the way they should go. In fact, another translation says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. The message translation says, lead a child in the direction you want them to go, the right direction. When they get old, they won't be lost. Either way, we get this sentiment that not just parents, but all of us as a faith community have a, a, an investment. We have skin in the game of raising up this generation 
along the right path. Proverbs always talks about the wise and the foolish path. And here the author is saying there's a wise path to lead children down and there's a foolish path. And we have a role in that direction. We have a role in that direction. Well, I asked my son Luke, uh, as a rising second grader, uh, to, to talk about this particular verse to me and tell me what he thought it meant. And in his Bible, it says to train up a child. And I said, Luke, what do you think about when you hear train up a child? And he said, well, he said, uh, when he put his Legos down and he looked at me, he said, I think it means, it reminds me of the Olympics. And he said, when I think about the Olympics, I think about, the, you know, about training and athletes that have to train. And they're training with a purpose to do something. And I thought, how brilliant and how simple. That that's really what it means. Often I think that we think to train up means to give all of the right information. But as we know by watching the Olympics, some of the greatest coaches are those who lived alongside the athletes. Think of Michael Phelps' coach who for years and years has lived alongside this incredible swimmer. Who didn't just tell him how to do it, probably showed him how to do it at times. Looked at videos, if we did this, if we did this, you could get to where you need to go and maybe you'll win a hundred more gold medals. Who knows? But so there's a responsibility that we have. And so Luke, when he says to prepare for something, it gives a sentiment that our kids, the, the, the children, that the kids that we volunteer alongside of, they are prepared for a purpose. And so we have this beautiful responsibility to lead kids along that path so that they can see it. So that we can cl- help them clear out the cobwebs so they don't miss the point that their lives were created with purpose. You know, Paul picks up on this in the book of Ephesians by saying this, Parents, do not exasperate. What a great word. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up to exasperate. You know what that means? It means don't make them angry. <laughs> See, what's great about this is that in a, in a, at a time 2,000 years ago where where really faith was all about legalism, where it was all about rules and instruction. Even, you know, at that point, the Hebrew faith had been relegated to memorization and knowing the point and purpose of 613 some odd laws. That Paul was saying here, I'm going to up the ante here, and I'm going to challenge parents to not just give information, but I'm going to challenge them to consider the feelings of the child. I'm going to challenge them to consider how it is that they're wired and how it is that they're gifted. And they have then a responsibility to not just give it into the will of the child, but to listen to how it is that they're wired and created and lead them along that path, not just in the way that the parents want them to go, but in the way that God is leading them. So he brings this emotion and heart into this conversation. Well, most of you parents in this room are already there. You're thinking about heart and listening and you're you're watching your kids when they when they pick up a bat and they swing and you're thinking oh wow that could be the next David Wright and some of you are watching your kids in the pool and you're thinking wow that could be the next Olympic swimmer some of you are watching like I am you see my son is Luke is so into science and I'm thinking I wonder what he's going to build I wonder what he's going to create one day and so we have all these activities and programs that we want to put them in that's going to lead them in that direction. And those things are good. But I think that Paul and the author of Proverbs has something else to teach us. That there's something else about us, about leading ourselves first and say, hey, follow me, walk with me. And then maybe there's a sentiment of, of real sticky faith in that conversation. It changes the game from activity 
to something else entirely, more back to relationship. And so I want to give you, a, give you a definition as we begin here of sticky faith. And this comes from the book by Drs. Kara Powell and Chap Clark. They write this, that, uh, that sticky faith is both internal and external. It's both internal and external. It's a part of a student's inner thoughts and emotions, and it's reflected in the choices and actions that reflect that faith commitment. It's that first gear that turns. When life unfolds, something happens. It's not just, what do I do? The f- some of the first questions that come to mind when, when life breaks down is, all right, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What do I have to learn from this? What am I supposed to do here? How does my faith integrate with this decision? It's not just about behavior, but it's an, it is an internal, uh, it starts internally and then works itself outwards. I think our tendency often is to work on the external. If we can just clean up all this stuff on the outside and just keep the bad behavior from happening, then we've won, right? Well, not entirely. Because sticky faith, as Kara and, uh, and Chap have found, it has to start from within. Second, sticky faith is both personal and communal. It's about God's love for the person and his challenge to invest into relationships with others. So it's one that understands that this God of the universe created that child with purpose and passion to be in a relationship with that child. And as a result of that relationship, every other relationship is affected. Not just the relationships with those in college, but around the world. And uh, and as that personal relationship is developed and faith is built, there is a consciousness of the need that's growing around the world and their responsibility to invest into it. And thirdly, sticky faith is both mature and maturing. I think this is such an important one because they say it has a solid foundation, faith does, yet it recognizes and personally owns the need for ongoing growth and development. I'll tell you what, when I see a college student uh, who is actively pursuing their own faith, I usually get two calls in the fall from college kids. I get the, man, things are going great, life is happening, and it's, it's wonderful, and, uh, and I've, I've found a you know, faith community or a church to be a part of, and it's really happening. Great, I love that phone call. And the other phone call is the one, well, I tried it, but nothing really works. And there's nothing like Spring Branch. You'd be surprised how many calls I get in emails just like that. I can't find Spring Branch. And years ago, I said, I got this question so often that I actually started with high school seniors uh, when I was doing student ministry, teaching them about what other churches and faith communities could look like so that, that when they got there, they wouldn't say, wow, this doesn't look like Spring Branch, and be sad. They'd say, hey. This doesn't look like Spring Branch, and that's okay. And they would stretch and grow, and they would find something new. But I love the students who have the, the maturity to know that their faith is their responsibility. You know, at some point, mom and dad, while your role may never shift, and volunteers, uh, you know, your role changes, it's still these kids' responsibility to own their faith. And so, so then what are we supposed to do? Well, let me teach you a little bit of what not to do. Again, as I've said here on how to unstick a child's faith in five easy steps. Number one, emphasize obedience versus trusting God. We make a mistake when we emphasize obedience versus trusting God. And what this really comes down to, obedience is, be, is based on behavior modification, Kind of a church expression would be sin management. 
And I think what happens so often in churches is that kids grow up with a sense that Christianity, if you ask them to define it, is all about a giant do's and don't list. Don't do these things. You can do these things, but, but it's always a do's and don'ts. And you know, there are do's and don't lists that, that we see in the scriptures. But there's so much more to a relationship with God than just what to do and what not to do. So much more than that. And you see that in the Apostle Paul's letters all over the place. You see that in the Gospels. Powell and Clark write this in their book. They say, at the heart of sticky faith is a faith that trusts in God and that understands that obedience is a response to that trust in everything. And so what we're hoping to lead our kids toward, what we're hoping to lead the, the students that we're volunteering alongside of, the children that we volunteer next to in Promised Land in Rock City, is a sense of trusting in God. Not just about things not to do. Not just about scripture memorization, although scripture memorization is good. Not just about church attendance, although church attendance is good. But it's about when life unfolds. When kids graduate from high school and they move on into adult life, what we hope is that we've led them to a trusting relationship with God. You know, Bill Hybels says that leadership, if you just peel everything away, all comes down to trust. And so it's our goal to live alongside of these kids to point in such a way that says, hey, you can trust God. He is trustworthy. When everything else fails in your life, even when mom and dad fail you, when we make mistakes... This God will never fail you. So we want to not emphasize obedience, but we want to emphasize trusting in God. Number two, underestimate the value of Monday through Saturday. I see this happen so often with, uh, with parents, and, and I see it, I've seen it even with myself, that if we can just get our family to church on Sunday, oh, won't that be amazing? That's half the battle. At least they can get something so that maybe by the time they get to Saturday, they're not ready to, uh, you know, to burn the house down. Maybe they'll learn something that will make the week a little bit easier. And obviously that's a caricature. We want more than that because we get what this place means, and church is so important. But there's something more at stake. There's something more at stake when we do this, when we underestimate the value of Monday through Saturday. See, it talks about in Deuteronomy 6, way, way back, thousands of years ago, the author said, wherever you go on every road, be talking about faith with your kids. I always remind parents of that when I do baby dedications, that that's your responsibility. When you're in the car and kids are watching you speed, when kids are, are watching you interact, the music that you listen to, the conversations that you're having in the front seat, they are listening and they're paying attention. And that is as much church as this is right here. It really is. It's as much church about it than, than, than this place right here. And what's interesting, what I've noticed is over the years is that, is that kids kind of expect church attendance. Once you start coming to church, it just becomes kind of normal and it's what we do. And as volunteers, I remember telling uh, high school volunteers and middle school volunteers when I did student ministry, I said, you know, you can lead a small group on a Thursday night, that's great, and you can come to, to Common Ground or the Edge on Sunday morning or Sunday night, but after a while, kids expect you to do that. And I know that's entirely unfair, but they do, ex they just expect it, they want to see you there. But where you really start to make a difference is, is in the in-between times. When you show up at a chorus competition, when you, when you hit a football game, or when you send a text or an email or a phone call just to say, I'm thinking about you. That conversation we had last week, you know, it's, it's been on my mind. 
Wherever you go, take your kids on errands with you. Take them, and don't use that as time just to let them zone out on their phones or their, or their Game Boys or whatever their appliances of the day, but maybe just try a small conversation. Maybe interact with, like, with what's going on in the news today. Like, what a great opportunity to talk about morality and faith and what's going on with Lance Armstrong. Hey, what do you feel about this? What do you think, where does faith interact with that? I don't know. They're thinking about it. They're thinking about it. What could it mean? I don't know. Stop asking me questions. That'll happen for a while. And if you give them space, they're going to respond to you. Don't pressure, don't clamp down, but just give an opportunity for those conversations to happen. And if young parents, if you start that now, it becomes normal. They expect it. And I see it working in families, even here in this church. This is something that was pretty powerful that Powell and Clark said, that your child may grow more through how you interacted with a homeless person on the street than through your check written at the church. You know, giving and stewardship is such an important part of our faith, and, and it's an important part of this community. And, it, and it's an important part of the faith development of your children, but they're watching you when you think they're not watching. They're watching how you move and how you intersect and the phone calls that you have. They're listening, and so don't underestimate the value of that time when you're not here. Number three, leave the spiritual development of a child up to the Christian professionals. Boy, have I seen this a lot over the years. And, and, I, and listen, I don't... You know, sometimes I even find myself victim to this. Because when it comes to medical care, what do we do? We want to find the absolute best, most professional doctor that we can find, right? If our kid's sick, we're going to find the best. We're going to Google. We're going to ask questions. We're going to get the best doctor we can find. When it comes to schools, we want the best education that we could possibly provide. We want to do everything we can. When it comes to sports, we want the best coaches. When it comes to nutrition, we want the best food. We want everything the best for our kids. And somehow that, that, that principle, while it sounds great, it doesn't always transfer when it comes to faith. See, our, the role that, that volunteers and students and staff here at Spring Branch is important and it's vital. And there will be conversations that your kids will have with pastor, pastors and staff and volunteers that they may not have with you. But never underestimate your value in that conversation. You see, uh, the statistics show that when it comes to building sticky faith, the role of mom and dad, of grandparents, of guardians requires so much more. And we can never underestimate that value. In fact, Kara, Kara Powell talks about that in, her, in this video right here. I want to show you a little bit of this. Let's watch it now. I don't know about you, but parenting is the hardest thing I have ever done. Ever. When it comes to sticky faith, there is no foolproof plan. After all, it's the Holy Spirit that ultimately builds sticky faith. The Holy Spirit transcends all formulas. Based on our research, I want to encourage you with this reality. Your kids are more connected to you than you might think. Here's even more good news. You as a parent are the most important influence in your kid's life. It's challenging to point to a sticky faith factor that is more significant than you. How you express and live out your faith may have a greater impact on your son or daughter than anything else. Some of you are saying, oh no, <laughs> I really wasn't hoping to hear that. 
And it's a scary thought, isn't it? That you are the single greatest uh, contributing factor as a mom, as a dad, as a guardian, as a grandparent to your child's faith really being sticky once they graduate from high school. You are the single greatest contributing factor. That's a truth. It's a reality. And so when you really settle with that, when you sit with that fact, if you do, I mean, for, for the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about that, and it's changed the way that I think about things. Because it's not just let me get them in front of guys like Kevin McGee or girls like Natalie Farthing, or get them in front of the Anna Bananas and the Gary Manascos and the Sandy, Sandy Werwaths that are in Promised Land and, and in Rock City. It's not just about getting them in front of them. And please, can you just do, because I don't know what to do, but it's about starting a dialogue in that conversation. It's about a marriage between the two. And I used to love it when parents would come to me and say, you know what, I'm so excited that my kids love what we're doing here. But I want to know what can I be doing as a parent to do an even better job? What can I do alongside of my kids? Are there any, is, the, is there anything I can do? Because time is just slipping away. And I want to be as instrumental, I want to be as strategic as I possibly can be in these moments. I think one of the mistakes that parents make is that they assume that, that, that only this place, that only the professionals can really make a difference, especially as kids get older. I see that a lot, but it's just not the case. Here's another, here's a fourth thought. Misinterpret, train up for fill up. When we misinterpret, train up for fill up, we are on the way to unsticking a child's faith. And this, again, is with the best and greatest of intentions. Because this sentiment of filling up says, if I can just get my kids doing enough positive activity, I will have fulfilled my role as a parent. You know, positive activity is good. Even Christian-based, faith-based activity is good. But I think some of us perhaps need to evaluate and think and determine, well, what you know, this may be a good thing, but is it, does it mean that we should be doing this right now? When I, when I used to play tennis, uh, I played very competitively from age seven to uh, all through college. And, and I remember uh, my, my coach, when I was about 11 years old, he told me, uh, he said, you cannot play racquetball this summer. We, were, we had a bunch of kids that, that were really getting into racquetball and it was just something else to do. And he said, you can't play racquetball. And I said, why can't I play racquetball? He said, because it's going to mess up your swing. He said, racquetball, this, the swing is entirely different. With tennis, your swing is slower and it's smoother. With racquetball, it's all in the wrist and it's a totally different sport. So just because it's a racket doesn't mean that it translates. And he said, so if you really want to be the best, you're going to have to say no to this sport. For years, I didn't play racquetball. Because I was petrified at the thought if I picked up a racquetball racket, I was going to forget how to play tennis all of a sudden. But his point was well taken. He said, in order to be who we really are called to be, we have to be willing to say no to some really good things. There's nothing wrong with racquetball. There's nothing wrong with a lot of the activities that your kids are involved in. But part of what I believe as parents and mentors and grandparents and volunteers, we have to be willing to model to our kids, you know what, sometimes it's okay to take space to breathe. And just to slow down, because in that space, space, there's room for spontaneity. And in that room for spontaneity, there's conversation and there's opportunity for faith conversations to happen where when we're running at such a breakneck speed, at such a frenetic pace, sometimes it can't happen and it gets missed. And so we're left wondering, well, is all of this good activity, is this really the point? But to train up means to really make choices. It means to say yes and to say no. 
And that's not going to be easy. But here's the last, uh, the last step on how to unstick your child's faith. And that's to assume that your sticky faith role has an expiration date. When you assume that your sticky faith role has an expiration date, you're on your way to missing the point. And I see this in a couple of different ways. I see this with parents of rising sixth graders. We have a kickoff for our student ministry every fall. It's usually the Sunday after Labor Day. You know who really shows up to that? Parents of sixth graders. And if you're a parent of a sixth grader, you're going to be there because you're thinking exactly what other parents of previous sixth graders have thought. I am scared to death of middle school. I'm scared to death of high school. I don't know what's going to happen. And I want to do everything I possibly can. Because everyone's told me that once my kids get to middle school, I lose them. Once they get to high school, that's the end of the conversation. They're texting. They're on the phone. They're doing all this. And that is the end of the conversation. And I believe that that is such a mistake. Of course your role changes. And it should. Of course things shift. But it requires parents and volunteers and grandparents and mentors to be even smarter. To figure out the language of students. To figure out what's important. To certainly give them space where they need space. But to still continue those conversations. And so I always encourage parents of sixth graders to say, listen... Just because your kids are moving into middle school doesn't mean that your role is done and now you turn them over to me or to great guys like Kevin McGee or, or wonderful women like Natalie Farthing. No, your role becomes even more important. It just changes and shifts and you're going to have to find the nuances and the cracks of where you can fit in there. But to continue that faith conversation, it's so, so important. And I also see it here in the church with volunteers. I see it a lot of times where parents think, oh, finally my kids are graduated from high school. I'm done. No more PTA. Yay. Sorry, PTA presidents and volunteers. We love PTA, don't we? We do. And we're so grateful for it. But we're hoping, we're hoping that we're going to be able to take a break. But I've got bad news for you. And I've also got exciting news for you is that your role never ends. It may shift and change, but God may be calling some of, some of you in this room to assume a new role. And you might be thinking, well, I am too old, I'm irrelevant, and it's just not true. You see, irrelevant or relevancy has nothing to do with age. It has to do with intention. It has to do with how much you care about and really want to see sticky faith matter to kids. So that might be for some of you who thought you were done with children's ministry to go down to Promised Land and get involved. It might be some of you asking Kevin and Natalie at student ministry, how can I get involved? What can I do? Here are my gifts. I don't know what to do, but I, I want to keep this role ongoing. But it's also to say to you parents that even though your kids may be moving on to middle school and high school and even to college, that your role never ends. You know, to Lee and Steph, who dropped their kids off, or dropped Connor off at, at, at college, to many of you in this room who did that or are doing that this weekend or next weekend, your role never ends. It changes and shifts and morphs, but it never ends. And so part of the, the encouragement that we take away from this time is that it's never too early to begin a sticky faith conversation. It's never too early to start that conversation, but also it's never too late. It's never too late. Now with middle school and high school kids and college kids, if you're just kind of walking into this conversation of faith, you're going to have to give it a little more time. You can't expect it to happen overnight, but it will, over time, change and morph. And you will have a relationship that you don't have today. And some of you are begging for that. 
You're begging for that. And you've come here today in a desperate place because you feel like you've lost your kids. And here's the hope, is that God knows right where they are. And he loves them hard to believe more than you do. And he knows their story and has a plan for them. And it's only through him that they're going to come back to him. And so find ways to extend grace and to talk about unconditional love. And to be that story of faith that you hope they connect with when life unfolds. Well, I told you that we're going to talk about this sticky faith. What does it really all come down to? Jesus talks in in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. He says this. He says that uh, the thief has come to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus speaking, have come that you might have life And that you might have it more abundantly. You might have it to the full. An abundant life. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for your kids. This is what life in me is all about. Not just about do's and don't lists. It's not just about behavior. It's about abundant life. And so as I look at this little bookshelf here. I look at this and it represents all of the options that are tugging at our kids. You know, all of these options, each book represents the book of education. Maybe it represents the, the book of, uh, of financial peace. Maybe it represents the book of, of have a good job, of, of work hard and things are going to be okay. And, and all of these books are promising, broken, broken. They're promising in a, in a broken fashion that they will give eternal life, that they will give abundant life. But the truth is is that there is only one book that promises that type of life, that promises unconditional love and hope and grace and provides life eternally with God himself. There's only one book. And so it's our privilege. It's our responsibility. It's our challenge as parents and grandparents and mentors and volunteers to do everything we possibly can to live in such a way and to lead in such a way that... Keeps kids' faith not just in their hands, but in their hearts. And where we start this week, before I give you a bunch of how-tos next week, where we start this week is us. How are we living this life that says, hey, come and follow me like father, like son. Do what I have done. Like mother, like daughter. Do like what I have done. And so where do you live in that process? How are you living a sticky faith life. Well, it's a challenge that you cannot do on your own. It's a challenge that you'll never live up to. And the good news is that you're not alone. And that's where the God of the universe intervenes, comes in, and he is the only author of a sticky faith that lasts forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are... You are truly enough. (laughs) And yet when I think of my role as a parent sometimes, I feel like I feel such a burden and responsibility and a duty to, to do more and to do more. And sometimes that just puts me right in the rut that we so often get stuck in of assuming that activity is the answer of doing things, even great family related things. But God, all you call us to do is parents and people who genuinely care about raising up a generation 
with faith that lasts is just to draw close to you. And Father, I pray for every person in this room, regardless of their age or life space, that they would this week draw close to you. Would they evaluate their walk with you? And where they've relegated their faith to activity and doing and attendance, would you challenge them? Would you inspire? Would you convict and say, no, just draw close to me. And Lord, as we do that, would we lead our children? Would we lead students and young adults closer to a faith that changes everything? God, we're broken, we're full of mistakes, and we're riddled with things that we don't know what to do with. But I pray, God, that you would take our lives and do something with them today as we hit the reset button one more time this fall. We pray this in Jesus' name.